Just one more thing that I had neglected to mention earlier. I wanted to relay to the congregation uh, that this past year, as, as was already uh, announced, uh, for the year 2018, we had surpassed our church's budget by a considerable margin. And so at the last membership meeting, just over uh, uh, or two weeks ago now, we were talking about what to do with some of that surplus. And so the decision was passed by membership to uh, pass along a lump sum of $20,000 to Turtle Mountain Bible Camp for the building project. And so I just want to pass that along to you, that that decision was made. And uh, I believe that's something that we can all feel good about, that, that through uh, our mission together here as a church, through, through the giving uh, and generosity, that we can pass that blessing along and, and bless Turtle Mountain Bible Camp with that. And so we're, we're very hopeful that that $20,000 will go a long ways uh, towards finishing that, that project. And uh, I know Matt wasn't able to be at the, at the meeting, but Matt Reimer is our Turtle Mountain Bible Camp rep. Uh, we, we, if I could put you on the spot, where are things at as far as the target on the, on the building? Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. Well, I use the word miracle, so we'll <laughs> we'll leave it there. But we serve a God who can do miracles, so we can continue to pray for that. And thanks for the the update there, Matt. But that is that is great news that that is coming along. So I just wanted to relay that to the congregation as well. Uh, would you now bow with me and let's pray together as we enter God's word. Heavenly Father, we just continue to thank you for your great provisions for us. Thank you that through uh, the ways that you have blessed us in, in this abundant land of Canada, Lord, in, in uh, provisions of, of finances, of physical uh, necessities, thank you that through the abundance we have, we can share that and pass that along. And we pray, Lord, that the, the 20000 that's passed along to Turtle Mountain, Lord, we pray that that would be multiplied, that that would be uh, used well towards the completion of the new facility there. And uh, as Matt just updated us, Lord, for all of the details and all of the quotes and all of the things that need to be done to finish out the building, we pray, Lord, that that could go as, as well and as smoothly as it possibly could. And, Lord, we do ask for a miracle that it could be completed for this summer. And so we know that you are able to do that. Even if, uh, from our estimation, it's only a 2% chance, uh, we leave that in your hands. And so we thank you for your provision there. Now, thank you, Lord, for your word, and we ask that as we open it, Lord, that you will, uh, by your spirit, give us uh, hearts to understand uh, what you have for each one of us. Through this word, I pray for, for clarity, uh, that as I speak, Lord, that you will make uh, the words clear, that you will give me boldness to speak uh, as you have laid it on my heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Begin this morning with the story of two shopkeepers who were bitter rivals of one another. 
These two shopkeepers were situated right across the street from each other, and they both had identical businesses. So they were dealing with the same customer base, always competing with one another. Now, this rivalry began small, but it began to grow and grow over the years until the point where one of the shopkeepers would, in fact, spend most of his time keeping track of the other rival's business across the street more than his own. He even had a little chart keeping track of how many customers were going in to the business across the street and then compare at the end of the day who had, quote-unquote, won with the most customers. So if he got a customer, he would just smile and triumph over his rival. And if one went into the store across the street and not his, he would scowl and, and feel that bitterly. This went on and grew and grew until one night, one night, the man had a dream. And in his dream, an angel appeared to him and presented him with this offer. I will give you anything you ask for, anything at all, but with one condition. Whatever you receive, your rival will receive twice as much. Would you be rich? You could be very rich. Would you be famous? You could be incredibly famous. Would you be powerful? You could have people trembling at your feet. What is your desire? Whatever it is will be yours. But remember, your rival will receive a double portion. Well, the shopkeeper, he he liked the first part of the offer, but he hated the second part. And he struggled with his answer and thought for a long moment, and finally he replied, here is my request. Strike me blind in one eye. Jealousy. Jealousy. It's a dangerous game, isn't it? And we see it rear its ugly head in today's text from Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're continuing along in our series on Exodus, the way out. And here now they've moved on from Mount Sinai. They're on their way closer towards Canaan and the promised land. And while they're encamped in one location, this incident takes place. Numbers chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. And the incident that takes place here is for once not a a struggle between Moses and Aaron and the people. This time, there's an incident that takes place within the leadership structure of the people between Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And we read this in verses 1 and 2. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now, we'll just stop right there for a moment. This isn't a good look for either Aaron or Miriam right now. This isn't a good moment for them. This is one of those moments where we see the Bible holds up the the sparkling good things that people do, but it equally holds up the bad. It's brutally honest. And this is one of those low moments for Aaron and Miriam. But things had not always been like this for them. As Moses' two older siblings, they had in fact helped Moses lead the children of Israel ever since the very beginning of the exodus from Egypt. In fact, Miriam's help goes right back to the very beginning of Moses' life. One of the most famous stories you'll, of course, remember. We're introduced in Exodus chapter 2 to Miriam, although she's not named at that point. She's Moses' only sister. We know it was her. And there we read that Miriam was given a babysitting assignment unlike any other. 
It was a babysitting assignment that would make the hair stand on the back of your neck. Here was the assignment. Watch over your baby brother. Yeah, that's easy. That's what all babysitting has in common, right? Watch over your baby brother. Just a few minor details. He'll be floating in a tiny basket boat on the biggest river in the world, the Nile River. Oh, and remember to watch out for any of those soldiers who might drown him in that same river. Oh, and don't forget about the crocodiles who might eat him. You know, just typical stuff they go over in the babysitting course, right? Right? Is that what they still go over today? Those sort of scenarios. Yeah. So anyways, typical babysitting stuff. Now, in those dangerous circumstances, we see there, at a very young age, Miriam's character, bravery, and wisdom just shine through. Because, of, of course, we know the story Pharaoh's daughter discovers Moses. And in that moment of of fear and and what am I going to do here, Miriam decides she's not going to run away. Miriam runs toward the danger. She runs towards the princess. She, She strikes up a bargain with her whereby Moses' own mother becomes his nursemaid. And we see through Miriam's actions the Lord's provision and protection for her baby brother. From there, scripture doesn't say anything about Miriam for quite a while. While Moses was growing up in Pharaoh's house, we don't hear about her, nor do we hear about her when Moses flees to the wilderness after after murdering the Egyptian taskmaster. We also don't hear about her when Moses returns and is pleading with Moses, or pardon me, with Pharaoh to release the people. But we know she's there. And we can be sure that as she's growing up, as all these things are happening around her, We know from her later testimony and and her character that during this time where we don't hear about her, she will have been serving her people, her family, and God. And in fact, she was thought of very highly among the children of Israel. In fact, centuries later, the Lord declared through the prophet Micah in Micah chapter 6 verse 4. He said, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. And so here we see, centuries later, God himself honored and affirmed both Aaron and Miriam right alongside Moses as being key leaders sent by him to deliver the people. You can't have any higher praise than the Lord saying, I sent you. I sent Moses, I sent Aaron, I sent Miriam to lead you and to deliver you. And so, the next time we read of Miriam is during the deliverance. It's right after the incredible crossing of the Red Sea. In Exodus chapter 15, verses 19 to 21, we read, When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. This is an amazing passage because it shows us a number of things about Miriam. First of all, it shows us that Miriam is the first woman in all of Scripture to be called a prophetess. So to be a prophetess is the female equivalent, of course, of being a prophet. And that meant that this is someone that the Lord would specifically speak a message to them to relay to the people. And so here we see that Miriam has been used by God to be a prophetess, to speak his words to the people. So this is significant, the first woman to be called a prophet. Second, we see in this passage that she is also the first woman praise leader on record. 
Because we see here in this time of of national celebration, of liberation, that she leads all the women of Israel in a song of praise to the Lord. And they all follow after her. Miriam is seen as a leader, and she's leading people in praise to God. And so here we see from this passage, it's clear that both Miriam, of course, and Aaron, who much more is spoken of, they both had key leadership roles to play right alongside Moses. They were a part of the leadership team. And so then we come to this passage this morning, and they are now speaking against Moses. So what's the problem? What's the issue? Well, whose name always comes first on these lists? Who was the one who held out his staff and the Red Sea parted? Who went up the mountain and spoke with God directly, face to face? Who relayed the law of God to the people? Who was always in the spotlight, both figuratively and literally? Well, of course, we all know the answer to those questions. Moses. It was always Moses. Moses was always front and center. So when they were talking amongst themselves and they said something like, you know, that Moses, he's always walking around like he's got a halo over his head. Well, the fact is that Moses literally did have a halo over his head. You remember the last uh, sermon in the series? He comes down from the mountain and his face is literally glowing. He had to put a veil over to, to hide the glow. Yeah, Moses walked around with a halo. His face was glowing. And so it's not surprising that the people are in awe of Moses. They, they revere Moses. They are in fear, holy fear of Moses. Moses is literally the next thing to God on the people's mind because he spoke for God. He would go and talk to God. He'd come back and speak the words of God. And so people just naturally were in awe and fear of Moses and his leadership. And so it seems that at some point in all of this, it begins to get just a little bit old for Miriam and Aaron. Of course, with all jealousy, it will have begun small. It will have just been little things, little internal thoughts. But then they began to grow. And they began to grow to the point where they begin voicing their complaints against Moses out loud. Now, of course, the pretext for their complaint is that they disapproved of Moses' choice of a wife. Not because of her personality or any moral shortcomings, mind you. They disapproved because she was a Cushite, not an Israelite. And so for them, they're thinking, no, this, is, this isn't good. This isn't a good look, Moses. We should be marrying within our own people. Marrying a foreigner, that's a no-no. Don't do that, Moses. But clearly, God was not in agreement with their perspective or their opinion. And we see here that they're looking for any reason they could to latch on to a complaint that they could level against Moses. Now, it's always frightening how when jealousy and resentment are building in someone's heart against another, you ever find it frightening how incredibly easy it becomes to find fault with that person? Think back on your life. When, when you've had someone that you were jealous of, that you were maybe a little resentful towards their success or, or something, you've ever noticed how easy it is to begin nitpicking faults in that person? It's incredibly easy. And that's exactly what is happening here with Miriam and with Aaron. They're, they're having this, this, this jealousy against Moses' high position building in their hearts, and then they say, Aha, look, 
There's a reason that we can validate feeling this way. He married a foreigner. He shouldn't have done that. But we soon find out that as much as they tried to justify their, their jealousy, their resentment, it wasn't really about Moses' wife at all. It wasn't. That was the pretext. Because the next verse reveals their heart. They spoke to each other and said, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And this reveals what was really in their hearts. It was about status. And what's interesting to note in this little exchange between Moses and, and pardon me, between Aaron and Miriam and whoever else they were voicing these complaints against Moses towards, what's interesting to note is that though Aaron is participating, it's Miriam who is the instigator. Now, how do we know that? Well, you'll notice in Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, that Miriam's name is given first. Another important clue is lost in translation. But in the original Hebrew, there is a masculine and feminine tense for all verbs. So when it says in English, they began to talk against Moses, in the original Hebrew, the verb talk against is in the feminine singular tense. So this indicates that the writer is saying the, the instigator in all of this is Miriam because he's saying feminine singular, they spoke against Moses, Miriam is instigating it, and of course Aaron is listening, but he's not disagreeing. He's participating, but Miriam is the instigator. And so now we've got to come to the big and obvious question, what does God think about all of this? What does God think about their bickering and their complaining and their jealousy in their hearts? What does he think? Well, it's given instantly in the next line. Verse 2 are these words. And the Lord heard it. And the Lord heard it. There's incredible weight behind those simple words, isn't there? And the Lord heard it. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus said, There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. You know, we all know that the Lord knows our thoughts. It's repeated many times throughout Scripture. And yes, we need to recognize the Lord hears our whispers, even the ones in the closet in the inner room, the ones we think no one else will ever hear. The Lord hears even our whispers. And he heard Aaron and Miriam. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this incredibly challenging and convicting. Because the fact is, the fact is, none of us are exempt from this. We all struggle with feelings of jealousy or resentment at some time or another. And this is one area that our old sinful nature often tempts us and often tries to rear up its ugly head. But as always, it's not the temptation that's the sin. It's in how we respond to the temptation. You know, I'll give you an example. Just this past weekend, uh, I said earlier we took the senior high youth group to the Nipawin Bible College for the 365 youth retreat. And when we were there, the feature speaker was a pastor named Marty Johnson. And there's no other way to say this, but Marty was just hilarious. I mean, he was hilarious. Like, Maddie's naughty. He had us in stitches, like, from the word go. He was telling one story after the other. I, I, I won't even give you some examples. But anyways, like... 
if you if you can picture the actor, the late actor Chris Farley, that's kind of how he was built. He is a big, hefty guy. He could do these voices and different things, and the stories he told were just hilarious. And he had us laughing, but then he used that humor in such an effective way that right after he had us all laughing, he had this tremendous way of bringing the point home of the truth that he was presenting. It was just this perfect blend of humor, but still bringing home the truth of God's word. And so as, as he's speaking and we're all being impacted and enjoying it at the same time, somewhere in the middle of his first talk, I just heard this little whisper inside my head say, don't you wish you were that funny? Don't you wish you could make people laugh the way he does? And just for that split second, I felt that little pang of jealousy flare up within me. It was just there. I didn't look for it. I didn't ask for it. It was just there. It's like, wow, this guy's got a real gift. He just makes people laugh. I wish I could do that. But then just as quickly as that little pang of jealousy was flaring up within me, I believe it was the Lord who whispered this thought within me, almost as quickly as the jealousy flared up. I didn't ask you to be him. I asked you to be you. That was it. But I instantly knew what that meant. And it immediately changed my attitude. God didn't ask me to be Marty, and God didn't ask Marty to be me. And in that moment, rather than being jealous of the gift of humor, it made me just appreciate it. And it made me go, thank you, Lord, for making this man the way he is. Thank you that through this gift of humor, he is so effectively communicating the gospel to all of these youth. And there were 250-some youth there who were hearing and being impacted by the gospel because of his gift of humor. And it just immediately addressed that, no, this isn't something to be jealous of. Be thankful. Be blessed by the gift that God has given his servant. And he's using it so well. And so it just reminded me of how quickly, if I'd latched onto that, it could have, it could have built resentment within me that he had something that I don't. And this reminded me of another truth that goes right along with it, that when we compare, when we compare someone else's gifts to our own, it's very rarely beneficial. It's very rarely something that when we compare, that that something good comes out of it. Most of the time when we begin comparing, it does one of two things. Either we say, ha, look how much better I am, and it feeds our ego and our pride rises, or it does the opposite, what it did here in this, saying, oh, they're so much better than me. And we let jealousy or resentment or feelings of, of just insufficiency build into our hearts. And so comparing is always dangerous. It's what God said to me. Don't compare. I didn't ask you to be him. I asked you to be you. But again, those feelings can just flare up so quickly, can't they? A coworker gets praised by the boss for a project when you know you did most of the work and you didn't even get an attaboy. They got all the praise and you did all the work. Huh. Jealousy. Someone in school walks by wearing just the perfect outfit and you're standing there in hand-me-downs. Oh, doesn't that just burn? You know, a fellow mom just seems to have her life just perfect. Everything is just perfect, put together. She's got the perfect marriage, the perfect kids, the perfect fitness, the perfect house, at least according to her Instagram account, right? But your life feels like chaos in comparison. You know, it 
it hits all of us. You know, your neighbor hits the field with brand new machinery this spring, and suddenly the 15-year-old equipment that you felt pretty good about just the day before needs to be upgraded ASAP. You know, and this can even happen within the church. You know, others have gifts that are noticed and praised, and then you, in comparison, feel unnoticed and unappreciated. And quite often, like I said, we can't help that these feelings and thoughts flare up within us. So it's what we do next. It's what we do with those feelings that matter. Will we latch on to them? Will we foster them? Will we voice them? Well, that's what Miriam did. And she probably told herself when she was voicing her complaints against Moses that it was just a small thing, just an insignificant thing, just a minor grievance, not anything to make a a big deal about. But God certainly didn't. Verses 9 and 10, we skip ahead in the story. The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. Aaron turned towards her and saw that she had leprosy. Now make no mistake about this. This is the lowest of low moments in Miriam's life. Leprosy. This is a living, waking nightmare. To have leprosy meant the end of her life as she knew it. You know what? I would, I would suspect if she were given the choice, she would likely have rather been struck dead instantly than face being kicked out from the camp to live and die alone as an outcast, her skin and flesh literally falling from her body. A nightmare. Something you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. And what a stark picture of what jealousy and resentment can lead to. And here we see Miriam, rather than being content with the honored role in ministry that God had given her, she craved something more. She wanted some more measure of the praise and recognition that was being heaped upon Moses. And I believe it's fair to say that without exception, God's anger always burns against this type of jealousy and resentment. Because God knows just what kind of destruction it can lead to. Think about all the stories of the Bible. Cain was jealous of Abel and murdered him. Jacob was jealous of Abel and stole his birthright. Joseph's brothers were jealous of him and threw him in a pit and then sold him to slavery. King Saul was jealous of David and tried to murder him on multiple occasions. And on and on I could give examples of the cautionary tales throughout Scripture of where jealousy was the catalyst for all sorts of destruction and pain. I want you to make no mistake about it. God's word is trying to get something very clear across to us. Jealousy and resentment is the poison of Satan. It's poison. He has cunningly destroyed countless lives, families, churches, and even entire nations with this poison. And this is why when we look at this story, we need to come to grips with how harshly God deals with it. Because I'm going to be honest here. To me, this seems like a very harsh lesson that God is teaching Miriam in this exchange. She just complained against her brother. I I get that. I've complained against my brother once or twice. I wasn't struck with leprosy. But God is making a very stark point here. He was not going to allow jealousy to fester in his people. He was just going to deal with it 
in a very head-on, direct, and seemingly harsh way to make sure that everyone got the message crystal clear. Jealousy is poison, and God is not going to stand for it in his people. And so it begs the question, if jealousy is poison, then what is the antidote? For this we need look no further than Moses. Moses, the recipient of the jealousy, the unjust complaints against him, we look for the antidote. Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. There's this little footnote right in the middle of the story, just after his brother and sister have been complaining and speaking against him, we read this, verse 3. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now that's a bit of a mouthful. The most humble man on the face of the earth. But in this we're given the answer to what God is looking for. The attitude he wants from his people. The antidote to jealousy is humility. Because jealousy stems from vanity and pride. It's wanting to elevate yourself to a position that that God has not yet elevated you to. And grasping for something that, that he says is not yours to grasp for. But here we see Moses, on the other hand, he's humble. And so how does Moses' humility show itself in this story? Well, the first thing we see is that Moses does not try to defend himself. We don't see Moses try to argue with Miriam and Aaron. He doesn't say to them, hey, it's no big deal that I have a foreign wife. She believes in the Lord just like we do. She's following the Lord just like we are. He doesn't do any of that. In fact, we don't see him trying to control the situation at all. Now, I've learned this the hard way, but I can defend myself, or I can let God defend me, but I can't have it both ways. There's a great story, some of you will have heard it, of the the preacher Charles Spurgeon and his wife. And Charles Spurgeon and his wife, they, they had laying hens, and with these laying hens, they refused to give the eggs away. They, they would always sell the eggs, of course, at a fair price. But when relatives or friends would come and say, hey, can we just have some eggs? They would always be told, no, they're for sale. You ha- if you want some, you have to pay for them. And as a result of this, some people began to think of the Spurgeons as greedy and grasping. Like, he's a great preacher. Isn't he supposed to be generous? Like, you know, he won't even give away eggs? What gives? But rather than defend themselves, the Spurgeons wouldn't say a word. They, they wouldn't say a word about this. They just let it go. And it was only after Mrs. Spurgeon died that the full story was revealed. All the profits from the sale of those eggs went to support two elderly widows who had no other means of income. But because the Spurgeons were unwilling to let their left hand know what the right hand was doing, they endured the attacks in silence, trusting God To defend them. You see, if we insist on defending ourselves, then God will let us do just that. But if we humble ourselves and trust our defense with Him, He will defend what needs to be defended. That's the first thing we see from Moses. He doesn't defend himself, He lets God do the defending. And what a defense God gives! He calls them into the tabernacle. He says, Hey, you three, we're having a meeting. And he puts up such a defense of of Moses that I'm sure his face was blushing. Because God says to Moses, or pardon me, to Aaron and Miriam, this man is unlike anyone else. Others get visions and dreams, but this man I speak to face to face. How dare you raise a complaint against him? 
God lays out the defense of Moses. He didn't need to say a word. The second thing we see from Moses is incredible. Moses prays for the people who criticized him. Verse 9. Aaron turned towards her, that being Miriam. He turned towards her and saw that she had leprosy. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming out from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. This isn't a pretty picture here, my friends. Miriam's in rough shape. Bible says she's white as snow. Aaron says her, her flesh looks like it's half eaten away. Please don't leave us like this. And now here, Moses, you got to remember, he's still human. Yes, he might be the most humble man on earth, but he's still human. And I'm sure those, those temptations were there to say something like, Ha, huh, serves you right. Have you learned your lesson yet? Yeah, then, then I'll think about interceding. But have you learned your lesson? Aaron, Miriam, can you grovel just a little bit longer? Or the always tempting, you just got what you deserved. I had nothing to do with this. But what does Moses do? What does Moses actually say? Verse 13. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please God, heal her. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. Moses could have done any number of things right now in this moment. He's been vindicated by God himself who came to his defense But he doesn't say one word. He simply cries out, Please, God, heal her. Moses doesn't use his innocence or his God-given authority to do anything further than what God has already done. Instead, he uses his position to beg God for healing for the very person who just unjustly accused him. You see, Moses was more concerned about his sister's well-being than he was about his own reputation. More concerned about the well-being of others than his own status. This should remind you of someone else. Someone who, when facing all manner of slander and false accusations, did not open his mouth to defend himself. Someone who, when then hanging, broken, and bleeding from a cruel cross, could have called upon 12 legions of angels to come and rescue him and then destroy the ones who had just put him there but who instead prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, Jesus cared more about our soul's well-being than he did about his own status or reputation. In Luke 14, verse 11, Jesus declared, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then in Philippians 2, verse 3, The Apostle Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is exactly the attitude and actions we see displayed by Moses. For though Moses could have easily listed all of the great things that God had used him for in delivering the people, Instead, in great humility, he put Miriam's interests ahead of his own. He begged God for her healing, and the Lord heard Moses' prayer. And yes, there were still consequences for Miriam. She had to be put out of the camp for a week, 
for the, for the period of, of ritual cleansing. All of the people knew what was going on, but they waited for her, and in the end, after that week passed, Miriam was healed in full, and she was restored to her people. Incredible what Moses' humility in looking to the needs of his sister rather than his own brought about complete restoration and reconciliation of the relationship. There is a Jewish fable of two brothers who farm together. One was married and had a large family while the other one was single. They both lived in close proximity to each other and they each worked the land growing wheat. When harvest time arrived, each one was blessed with a bountiful crop and they piled up their grain for long-term storage. The unmarried brother, observing his good fortune, how much grain had filled his bins, he thought to himself that God had blessed him more than what he needed. And then he thought of his, of his married brother, who had been blessed with a large family, more mouths to feed. Surely he could use more grain than what he needed. And so the single brother arose in the middle of the night, and he secretly took from his grain, and he put it in his brother's pile. But that same night, the married brother had been thinking to himself how fortunate he was to have children who would care for him in his old age, while his brother would only depend on what he saved, having no children. And so he too arose in the middle of the night, and he quietly transferred grain from his pile into his brother's. And in the morning, each one pondered why there was no noticeable difference in their own grain piles. And so... The next night, they did the same thing. The transfer was repeated, and again the next morning, they wondered, why is my grain pile not going down, and why does his look the same? This went on night after night, until one night, the brothers bumped into each other. Both of them with their arms filled with sacks of grain. And in that instant, they realized what had been happening. And in the dark glow of night, They dropped those grain sacks and they embraced. An embrace of love. Now which attitude would we rather live by? Miriam's or Moses? Which one would we rather exemplify? The jealous shopkeeper who was always striving to get ahead to put someone else down, willing even to lose one eye so that his rival might lose two? Or like the brothers who are more concerned for each other's well-being than for their own. And so may we each choose today to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand that he may exalt us in due time. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is so applicable because, Lord, we all struggle with this. There's not one of us that's immune from having those, those little feelings of jealousy and resentment against another flare up within us, just as it did for Miriam and for Aaron. Lord, none of us are exempt, and we know the enemy is always out there trying to tempt us to say, hey, look at that other person. They're getting ahead, and you're struggling here. You should be resentful of that. You should be envious of that. You should be jealous of that. And yet, Lord, that is not your way. And so, Lord... We pray that when we're tempted to compare ourselves to others, that instead we would just be thankful that you have called us not to be someone else, but to be ourselves. Not to use someone else's gifts, but to use our own, the ones you've given each one of us uniquely. And so, Lord, I pray that each one of us would learn this 
to be content in where you have put us. And that when we see others excelling and and their gifts being used, that we would just be thankful and that we would bless them in that. And that, Lord, when, when others unjustly criticize or attack as they did with Moses, that rather than than looking to vindicate ourselves or defend ourselves, instead we could be like Moses and leave it in your hands, trusting you to defend and that you will vindicate. And so, Lord, we pray that we would grow to be more and more like this, more and more like Christ, who though he could have in every way insisted upon his rights, he didn't need to go to the cross. He could have called upon those legions of angels to defend himself, the king and prince of glory, And yet, Lord, he put our well-being, the salvation of our souls, as more important than his rights and his status as God. And he humbled himself to a humiliating death on a cross. And we are the recipients of that salvation today. So, Lord Jesus, help us to be more like you. Build this character up within each one of us, Lord, within your body, the church. And we pray, Lord, that through this, you would be exalted. And that when we humble ourselves before you, we know that you will do the exalting in due time. For this is your will and your design. And we agree with it today together. In Jesus' name, amen.